Hello and welcome to Greenish, the only podcast that discusses what money and kale have in common. From money and kale to mindfulness and capital, our mission is to discuss this intersection while speaking to the entrepreneurs that fuse both. We're your hosts. I'm Ari. And I'm Kate. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Cameron Rogers, founder of The Freckled Foodie. Cameron, we're so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I love being on the other side of shows. It's so much fun for me (laughs) as a host to just like sit back and be the one that gets to chill. So Cameron Rogers in three words, the freckled foodie. But if you gave us three more to describe her, we'd say happiness, health, and accessibility. And if you gave us another word, we would say sunshine. After working on Wall Street for five years, Cameron decided to say goodbye to the trading desk and hello to being her own boss. A self-described five times over menu reader, Cameron Rogers started the freckled foodie out of a love for all things natural whether that's food, mental health, or sharing her day-to-day with an authentic lens that challenges the status quo. She's been named one of Forbes' top five entrepreneurs, changing the New York wellness scene, and worked with notable brands to create transformational content. After following her for just about forever, we're so excited to speak with her today. I need you guys in my like back pocket whenever I go anywhere. I don't think I've ever been called sunshine. <laughs> that's the thing ever. <laughs> Thank you. So Cameron, to get things started and in the greenish spirit, could you please tell us about your roots, your background, your childhood? What did all this look like for you? Of course. I am from New Jersey. So I'm a Jersey girl. Technically, I was born in Manhattan and I lived here for three years, but I have like no recollection of that aspect of my childhood. Um, We moved from New York to New Jersey when I was, I think, like three in between three and four and moved to Princeton, New Jersey, which is where I spent my entire childhood. I am one of three girls. I am the middle daughter. I, I'm trying to think of other things about me. I grew up playing sports competitively my entire life. I then went to Lafayette College, which is a small school in Pennsylvania um, in the Patriot League. It's the smallest D1 school. And I went there and played lacrosse. And I moved to New York post-graduation. As you kind of mentioned, I started working in Wall Street. Then everything changed a bit, which I'm sure we'll get into. And I married my high school sweetheart. I feel like that's a fun fact. And we now have our first baby, who is 10 months old at the time of recording this. Yay! So fun. So we'd love to get into how the Freckled Foodie family came to be and then work backwards a little bit. Yeah. Oh gosh. How it came to be. Um, when I left my job, it was to pursue this like side thing that I had started, which was Freckled Foodie. And I had kept like church and state very separate. I was never showing my face on my account. It was solely food focused, a lot of meal prep because I was working in the corporate world. So I was prepping all of my meals to try and like save money, but also I was on these elimination diets. So I was trying to control what foods I was eating. And when I left, I started to feel more comfortable sharing about myself as a person, not just food and recipes. And the more I shared about myself, the more I felt I was connecting with my community, my followers. And I was sharing about things that I was struggling with, like anxiety. Um, I was dealing with a bunch of gut health issues. And it was, I believe, yeah, that was when I was engaged. So there was a lot of like wedding stuff. And the more I was sharing about me and my personal life, the more I felt I was connecting with people. And the main thing for me was that I felt really lonely during a stage of my life post-college graduation when I had everything that like surface level was what we're told we want or what we desire. You know, I had the boyfriend in the same city. I had all of my friends in the same city. I had this great apartment. I had the dream job for an economics finance major. Um, I had all of those things, but I was really lonely and sad and I didn't know why. And I felt 
even more sad. It was this compounding effect because I kept feeling like I'm the only one who feels this way. I'm the only one who's struggling with this transition to real world. I'm the only one that is really anxious. Um, I'm the only one who is struggling with the demons in her head when it comes to her relationship with food and exercise. And the more I started sharing about that, the more I realized that I absolutely was not alone. And so selfishly, honestly, it helped me a lot to just like hear from all these other people. But also it made me realize that if we would all feel more comfortable talking about these things, we would all come to the conclusion that other people are struggling as well. Like you're not alone in your emotions. And honestly, that's kind of how the Freckled Foodie family was born because I really have continuously made an effort to catapult off of that like base emotion of reminding people that they're not alone. Especially you speak about the transition between college and the real world. And I think you provide a lot of light in this area. And it's not really talked about as much as I think it should be because I already feel like I'm not alone, even though I'm not in that space yet. I'm still in college. But whereas in the past, I feel like it's kind of something that's been swept under the rug. And then when you graduate college, it's kind of like this weird door that's slamming in your face. And your story is also such a testament to starting small and saying yes. So what advice do you have for someone in a more corporate role that has something creative on the side with an entrepreneurial mindset and really wants Mm -hmm. to take that full-time transition? Well, first of all, thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate it. For me, it's hard because... All right. Well, let's go back to like the very, very beginning iterations of Freckled Foodie. I started the account as a complete like whim thing that I wasn't telling anyone about. Like only my husband, then boyfriend, and my younger sister knew about it for the first few months. It was really the start of these kind of quote unquote food porn accounts in New York City. It was 2015. No, 2016, 17. Um, And I was spending so much money at restaurants. I was spending so much money at the like quick pickup, grab and go lunch places in Manhattan, the like pick a protein in two sides. And I was also dealing with all of these digestive health issues. So I started cooking for myself. And I've always loved food, but I didn't grow up in a house where we were all like sitting around the dinner table every night making this elaborate meal because we were like driving to and from all of our different practices. So I say that my mom invented meal prep or not invented, but like was a pioneer because we were eating out of Tupperware almost every night in the back of the suburban. <laughs> so I felt like this was the first time I was getting creative with food and it was tapping into this creative outlet that I didn't know I desired because I'm a very math analytical numbers focused person, which is why I was doing well in my job. Um, But once I started creating, I was like, well, maybe there's a place for this to live because I was texting all of my friends, these photos, and they were asking for the recipes. And I kept saying, well, I don't know. I just kind of made it up. And I was also like, well, maybe if I have this account, I'll get like free meals at restaurants, which doesn't (laughs) actually happen. And I mean, it could, but i that's a whole other thing that I'm just not interested in. But I started the account and I felt like it was a perfect creative outlet for being in such a fast-paced, analytical, numbers-focused world. With the caveat being, I started to become way more interested in that. And so I was constantly like perusing the Mind, Body, Green, the Well and Good, the Infatuation, Eater, all of those blogs and websites during all of my downtime, even at work. Like my mind was never going to what's happening in the market. Oh, like what are municipal bonds doing? That's a product I was selling. It was where should I go for dinner tonight? What recipe should I cook? Like, oh, what's the latest thing that's happening in the city in the food scene? And no one was surprised on my team when I left because I was the person every day walking around being like, what'd you guys get for lunch? Where should we go? Like I, there was a rule on my desk that I was not allowed <laughs> to talk about lunch until 1030. Like <laughs> you think I'm making this up every, no one was surprised when I left to do this. They were all like, good, you're finally doing what you should be doing. Um, And that was my first, what I call now a green flag because it was like, all right, you're clearly passionate about this. Like this is clearly what you care about. 
And I loved aspects of my job. I loved the team. I loved the environment, like the camaraderie of it. I obviously loved the pay. I loved the stability, but I wasn't interested in it. And I think that was the big aha moment for me. So for someone that is in the corporate world and has a creative passion, I think my biggest piece of advice would be test it out on the side. Like give as much as you can on the side to this project and see what that looks like. Because I think there's a lot of glamorization of being an entrepreneur done by specifically my generation where it's like, screw the man. You don't have to work for a corporation. Like, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I don't believe that. Um, I love my job and I still consider a lot of it work. And I think there are really incredible things that come with corporate America, like stability, like consistent pay, like benefits. Um, Those things are awesome. Also things like having a team to bounce ideas off of, having someone who is like holding your hand in a process and giving you continuous feedback. There are a lot of things that are isolating about being an entrepreneur and a lot of things you miss about the corporate world once you are no longer in it. However, if you are really passionate about something and there's a way to make it your job, of course, find a way to try to do that. So I would say put as much time as possible into it on the side to then try and figure out like what would it look like to take it full time. So. I was taking it to the extreme. I was burning the candle at both ends, like hardcore. And I don't think that's the best way to go about it. But I think it did set me up to be in a place to try and walk away from the job I had. There is so much privilege that goes into this decision and the ability to make this decision. And that should always be recognized. Um, I had a financial safety net, both from my upbringing and the salary I was making for five years to be able to make this decision and know that if I failed, it was okay. Not everyone has that. So I always want to make sure I address that. But you need to look at what I did was, okay, this is what I'm doing on the side. How can I actually profit off of this? Like, How can I monetize this thing that I'm doing? So I built out kind of almost a business model where it was like, this is what I could offer my services because it was actually different than what I'm doing now completely. But I was meal prepping for clients. I was doing like grocery store walkthroughs, kitchen audits, all of those things, um, health coaching. So I wrote out, this would be my goal to hit every month, whether it was X amount of clients for Y services and you name it. And then I looked at my finances and I was like, okay, how much do I have that I could set aside to actually invest into this. Again, what I chose to do had really not much overhead at all. So that also varies depending on what this passion project of yours is. If it requires a brick and mortar store and you're leasing a building and paying employees, that's a whole different ballgame. And then how much do I actually need per month to like live? And that's something that I can never tell someone what that number is. You have to figure that out on your own. But I would say like really assess those things, figure out how you can tangibly monetize this passion project, and then put as much time as possible into it while you are still reaping the benefits of corporate America. And then assess, is this something I want to do? Is it a leap I want to take? And it might not be. And that's totally okay. Like It is okay to keep passions as hobbies. Because once it becomes your job, it kind of does stop being your hobby. So, okay. First of all, Kate and I were absolutely joking about this beforehand, but now I like fully, fully see this through. We were joking that you are literally like our digital mom. Oh my God. And I'm like really feeling that right now, <laughs> or like older sister or something. Um, because first of all, that was a phenomenal answer. I could not agree more with any of that, but I love the like realistic take. Cause I think a lot of people are kind of like, no, quit your day job. Like exactly what you were saying. So I love, I mean, that'd be great, but like, right. you, you but, have like, to pay a bill and put food on the table. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. But something that I do want to honestly go back to is you were talking about the idea of daydreaming and like how when you were in your other job, it was kind of what you were thinking about at the end of the day or during the day or whenever it was. And that's, you just kind of caught yourself like daydreaming about your passions. And actually when I got to college, a professor, you know, I was like a super, super like 
cut and dry person. I had major tunnel vision about my life and how it was going to unfold. And I knew exactly every step I was going to take, or I thought I did. Um, And a professor looked at me and was like, Ariana, something that is going to help you is whenever you're doing things in life, just for these next couple of years, and you catch yourself daydreaming, like really think about it a little bit deeper. Like when you're scrolling through social media or going through the news or whatever, like what articles are you clicking on? What are you trying to learn more about? That kind of thing. So I totally agree with that and love that because that has totally guided my college experience all the way. And it probably will guide my life. I love that. And I think it's really important to pay attention to like, where does your mind go mm-hmm. in moments of boredom? And that's mm-hmm. another important thing. You have to give yourself time to be bored. Unfortunately, yes. that is – can we talk about yeah. that for a second? That is so important because, I I mean, I have felt that through – first of all, like through my whole life, but like especially in college where you're in college and everybody's like, okay, you got to be – you got to do this, do the, blah, 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 do everything, you know, put it all on your plate. No. Like you can just no, like I mean, go for a walk. not. Yeah. It's like when people say the best ideas come to you in the bath or the shower, it's because you're so mindless that you have so much room to think and room for creativity. And I think it's something we need to normalize, like even taking two minutes of the day and just sitting there and thinking and having these what if thoughts, like what if I learned to play the piano or what if I started a podcast or this incredible business idea comes to you. I think it's really just a time for growth, even though it's almost seen as like a juxtaposition of you being unproductive. It really is productive. Totally. I I really, really, especially if you're in this kind of creative field that I am in, in a sense, um, downtime and boredom is so important because you need to have time to reflect, to daydream, to have ideas come to you, to just like pause for a second. In today's world, we're inundated with information and notifications and just nonstop things flying at us. And you need a beat to just like chill the fuck out. Am I one person here? Sorry. <laughs> Um, so I think it's really important to figure out how to do that. And it's different for everyone what that exact like reset, pause, relax looks like, but it's vital, I think, for your mental being. Okay, wait, just just like slight personal question. Um, Mm -hmm. do you set a, a specific time during your day to like journal or to be like productively unproductive? Or does it just kind of do you just kind of like let it happen? So I do journal every morning. Um, That's for me more of just a way to ground myself in the morning and just release some thoughts and brain dump. And I do that with like, I have like a morning, my athletic greens and my coffee and I sit there and I just journal for like five to 10 minutes. It's nothing big. I have a time block in my calendar for creative writing for an hour a day, twice a week. And you better believe I unfortunately have dismissed the calendar reminder every day since I said it. So that's a goal of mine to try and get like, allow myself that space. But as a recovering type A perfectionist workaholic, it's really hard to remember that that is also important. Mm -hmm. But it is. (laughs) We're big fans of the brain dump. We've talked about that. <laughs> I love a good brain dump. Um, we've also talked before between Ari and I about this quote that says, have three hobbies, one to make you money, one to keep you in shape, and one to be creative. And I know we just spoke about how a lot of times having a hobby and keeping it a hobby is important because sometimes it takes away from it being that outlet when it is something that you make money from. But I love this quote because I think it really encourages people in multifacetedness instead of just thinking, this is my job. I'm going into this industry. Therefore, this is my life. And I think in so many stories, the creative one or the active one becomes the one to make money, like in your case as well. What made you think like, this is what I want to be my job and this is my mission. Oh, goodness. It's hard because when I left my corporate job, what I thought I was going to be doing is so different. Um, 
I think what I when I thought this is what I want to be my job is when I started to realize that I could actually make good money off of working with brands and somehow just sharing my life. It's still really confusing for me to wrap my brain around and especially to explain to people. And quite honestly, it's a little confusing for my mental self-esteem. I don't know. Like I do think that we're not wired for social media. We're not wired to know what everyone's doing as a influencer. We're also not wired to know what every person's opinion of us is, whether we know them or not. So it still is confusing to me, but I think that was a moment where I was like, wait, I can actually make money while just connecting, not just, but connecting with people and sharing my life and being able to make my own schedule and to work, like be kind of flexible from where I'm working. And especially now having Liam, were there things that I miss about the corporate world? A hundred percent. Like a typical corporate paid maternity leave is an incredible benefit that every company should a hundred percent be offering an extended version of. But I also feel very blessed that now I can work my schedule around his hours so that I can spend more time with him. Um, so I think that was like when I decided this could be my job. I now forget the second part of that question. I'm really sorry. Um, what made you think like this is my mission? I think that was when I started to hear back from people in the Freckled Foodie family of like, this resonated with me so much. This meant so much to me. This changed my outlook on things. This made me realize that I want to speak with a therapist and try medication for my anxiety. Like those things are the reason that I share anything because that makes me feel like I really am having an impact, especially on the down days where I have imposter syndrome and I doubt myself. Like messages like that are the reason why I continue to show up. And that's why I do feel that it is my mission to continue. Something that I absolutely admire about you is your confidence. You just absolutely radiate confidence. Um, So what is confidence to you? And was there a way you developed this or a time when you didn't feel as confident? Thank you. I, I think I've always been a confident person, if we're being honest. I am not someone that can come on here and say, I was so shy as a kid and I had to like talk myself up. Not at all. I was Because I think your, your job now takes a certain degree of confidence to even yes. just do, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. As a kid, I was not shy at all. I was the like loud mouth one talking up in class all the time. I was a little too confident, very like probably aired on the side of cocky. Um, Was there a time I wasn't confident in my life? Honestly, when I think back of like, it's interesting because I do think it's weirdly when I decided to do this full time, when I look back, I can see that I'm not being my truest self. I think I was really struggling mentally with my relationship with my body and exercise and friendships and career. And I was so worried about about what people thought of me. And it was when influencing was also focused on like the filters, all of that. And I think when I decided, call it three years ago. So like right after I decided to do it full time, I was like, fuck this. I'm going to do this my way. I'm not going to be putting filters on here. I'm not going to... my. I don't ever want someone to leave my page feeling less than. And that's how I was feeling as a consumer a lot when I was watching all these other creators in the space. Whether they were meaning to or not, I was just being like, oh my God, they look so put together and you know they look like this. Meanwhile, half of it's a filter or edits, but I wanted people to leave feeling inspired and energized and excited. And I do think over the past... Honestly, four months, I've stepped into a whole new level of confidence, which I don't know, you guys are consumers of my content. So you can either agree or disagree. But I do think that motherhood has untapped an entire new level of confidence for me, which I was never expecting. That is so interesting. Because I think so much of what we hear is like, fake it till you make it and fake that confidence to have the opportunity to say what you need to say. And so much of your story is speaking 
with authenticity and speaking with a purpose is what gives you confidence. And I think that's incredible. Something I always think about your content is you always say how you're feeling and you don't care to put on a show, which is very different than a lot of other people. And I think with anything entrepreneurial, whether it's like a business, an account, a podcast, you have to let go of the way that other people see you because people always have something to say. So simply put, how do we stop people pleasing? Oh, Oh gosh. Most days I'm good at it. Other days I wish I just try to please everyone. I think exactly what you said. So I I just want to quickly touch on that. The fake it till you make it. I can understand some aspects of it when people say that, but I don't necessarily think it's the best like blanket advice because I think you have to figure out how to find it within yourself first. If you're faking it, then I don't think it's authentic. I do think that one of the biggest things that helped me with confidence when it comes to my relationship with myself after going through some struggles is self-talk, positive self-talk and positive affirmations. A hundred percent, that is the number one thing that has helped me. Um, With people pleasing, exactly what you said. I don't put on a show. I am not afraid to speak my emotions. I say how I'm feeling. I say how it is. And that does not sit well with everyone. And I get that. That's fine. Some people absolutely despise my content and they hate my account. And is it hard for me sometimes to stomach? Yeah, because I was actually having this conversation with someone the other day. Because I don't put on an act or a shtick, when people attack me, they're literally attacking me as a human. They're not saying, oh, I hate that comedy skit that you did. It's so dumb. They're saying like, They literally hate me and my soul because what they're hating is the truest version of me. And I've had to come to terms with that, that not everyone's going to like me, but not everyone likes that I share my honest truth and how I'm feeling. You know, some people are like, all you do is complain. And by sharing how I'm feeling, I've had some dark times over the past year during postpartum and my motherhood content isn't for everyone. However, I know that it has helped a lot of people and that's what I focus on rather than the trolls who despise me. Will I ever please everyone? Absolutely not. Do I believe that I'm going to... I will never say I don't care about anyone's opinion because that's also not true. But I think what's important is figuring out whose opinion do you care about? I care what my husband thinks about me. I care what my siblings, what my in-laws, what my parents, what my close friends, like I care about their opinion. Absolutely. But TikTok user 20,952, I don't care what you think of me because I have no idea who the fuck you are. And the whole thing is why listen to someone's opinion if you wouldn't ask them for advice? If I'm not going to you for advice, I don't actually care what you think of me. And that's what I constantly try to remind myself. Do I sound really set in this way and like confident in all of this right now? Yeah. Am I still crying when I like read a Reddit forum about myself <laughs> saying I'm an awful human? Absolutely. So <laughs> depends on the day you find me, honestly. <laughs> I'm such a quote person and that just totally reminds me of two quotes I love. And one of them is stop letting people who do so little for you control so much of your mind and feelings and emotions. And then another one is stop asking people for directions to places that they've never been. And that's a Glennon Doyle quote. I love that because I think it's so easy. It's always so easy to criticize another person, but when you're the one doing it, you see how hard it is. And you're like, how could anyone ever criticize anyone? Because it takes so much to put yourself out there. And anyone that's doing that and creating something, it's yes. it's difficult sometimes. Yeah. And I'd love to see them do it. That's the other thing. Like It takes a freaking so lot of vulnerability so to get on a platform with, for example, me, but anyone like thousands of people or hundreds or millions of people to nitpick you, your every move and have an opinion. And for you to be able to show up as yourself and speak your honest truth, that's that's a lot of courage and vulnerability. And I think it's really easy for someone to sit behind a phone and tear you down when they would never have the courage to do what you're doing. 
to go into a little bit more about your mentality in just this last year and a little bit more about that. You've been very open about postpartum depression and um, Kate and I would love to hear about just how that's kind of unfolded for you on social media and that process and just how that's all been for you in general. Yeah. Well, I gave birth in May and I've always been someone I've struggled with anxiety my entire life. Um, I was medicated and then I ended up switching medications, but I was medicated throughout my pregnancy um, for anxiety and depression. And postpartum depression was always something I was hyper aware of because, you know, we hear about it. And I was nervous just given my mental health history. And I think what was confusing for me was that right after giving birth to Liam, I felt this like rush of love and joy and emotion. And in my mind, I always thought that if you were struggling with postpartum depression, you were more feeling that like disconnection or, you know, things that you hear about women feeling in the hospital, which there shouldn't be shame or guilt over, but it happens for many women where they don't feel connected to the child right away. And so I almost thought like, oh, I'm I'm clear, like I'm out of the woods because I feel the connection. But in the beginning for me, it was so survival mode because you're literally just trying to survive. You're trying to make sure that he and you are eating, sleeping, going to the bathroom and changing and bathing. And like, that's it. That's the only goal for the day. And I felt like really okay, other than obviously the clear hormones that were happening and like the ups and downs, but I felt okay mentally, like I can do this. It wasn't until I started to return back to quote unquote before life um, where I had given myself a small maternity leave, but to be honest, it was nothing because I was still on social media. I just wasn't contractually obligated to do anything by brands, but I was still on almost every day. So, and Joe only had two weeks. So once I started returning back to like trying to do more work or seeing friends or doing things, that was when it hit me because I felt, wow, this is a completely different world. I don't know how to re-enter this world. I don't know who I am anymore. I am so deeply sad, but simultaneously so in love. And how is this even possible to feel such complete opposite ends of the spectrum at once? Like It's very confusing to feel such conflicting emotions at once. And that's the main thing I learned is that they can coexist. I can love my child more than anything in the entire fucking world. And I would be willing to do anything for him. And I can still really miss aspects of my old life. I can miss the independence. I can miss the freedom. I can miss the spontaneity that doesn't take away from my love for my child. Um, For me... I ended up increasing my medication. I work with, I work still with professionals. Um, I've changed other things in my kind of like toolkit to help with my anxiety. I ended up stopping my breastfeeding journey at month like six, five, five um, to really put my mental health first. And as of recently, I've actually cut out alcohol and it, all of these things have made incredible changes, but I think the reason that I am so open about my struggles with postpartum and specifically postpartum anxiety and depression is because so many women experience it and so many women feel shame over it and they shouldn't because there is nothing they are doing wrong. And the more we can talk about it and open up this conversation and dialogue, the more the actual women experiencing it will feel less alone. And also, I hope to inspire people who are listening to my content and consuming my content that aren't moms, but are friends of new moms or siblings of new moms or partners of new moms to understand the narrative that's happening in my brain so that they can better help those people because you need your support system. And I honestly think that's been the most impactful part of it all for me is getting messages from people being like, wow, my sister, friend, cousin, whatever is going through this right now. And I feel so much more well-equipped on how to handle it because I listen to your content and I know what you went through and what helped you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So honestly, I, I'd love to dive into something you were just talking about and how you mentioned that you um, had a hard time kind of re-entering the, the outside world after having Liam um, before you gave yourself time to emotionally and physically heal because... 
Um, you know, you didn't want to lose like the old you, quote unquote. So how did you heal that mentality and shift your lo- shift to love for this new version of yourself instead of holding on so tightly to somebody that you're just kind of not anymore? And honestly, just kind of, I, I would love to get your stance on this for listeners that may be in a, in a time of any kind of transition, um, just how we embrace the new and like the evolution of yourself. Yeah, because I do think it's applicable to many life changes. Mm-hmm. Of the life changes I've experienced, this is absolutely the largest one. But I think it's important no matter what evolution or change you're going through, because we change so much throughout our lives, right? It's a constant metamorphosis. For me, the most important thing was actually getting to know the new me. And that sounds odd, but I really sat down and was like, okay, who is she? Like, what does she like? Cause she might not like similar things. And that's really why I stopped drinking because it's like, I actually don't like it anymore. I don't like that feeling the next day. It's that benefit of the night out is not worth the downfall of the next day for me anymore. And in the past it always was, but now like She's just not into that. Um, So I think taking the time to spend time with yourself and get to know yourself in this new place you're in and ask yourself, what do I like now? Because your hobbies might have changed depending on what this life change was. And you don't have to hold on and force these things from the past version of yourself just because you feel like you should or because you used to like these things. Um, And relationships change. That's been a really interesting thing for me to unpack and watch unfold. But you become closer with some people. You might just kind of fade away from other people. It's not that anyone did anything wrong. But when life changes and evolves, relationships do as well. And you know, relationships have many ups and downs and ebbs and flows. It's never going to be consistent for the entire, entire length of that friendship. And for me, it was kind of coming to terms with that and understanding like, okay, some of my other friends are going to do stuff that I'm not interested in anymore. And I don't have to force myself to go do it just because I feel like I have to. If I'm actually not interested in those activities or things, like I should be spending time doing things I love. Because that's the bottom line. I think we should all be focusing more time and spending more time on what we actually enjoy and what makes us a better version of ourselves. And that might be different for, I mean, it's going to be different for everyone, but it might look different than what your close friends are doing and what you maybe used to be interested in. So for me, it was focusing on, okay, who is this person now? How can I get to know her better? What can I now bring to the table for her to enjoy? What are some new things that maybe we're interested in? And then what are the things that I maybe still like the idea of from this past version? And how do I incorporate that? You did an episode with your sister, Lucy, that I loved on transitioning from college to the real world. And I loved this episode. It was such a authentic um, conversation and loved like getting to know your sister also. Thank you. And I think that after graduation, a lot of times for people I've spoken to, not there yet, but it can be a very confusing time. And I used to have like the weirdest aging complex. Like when I was 16, I felt like I was like 60 because so much was changing, even though I was like so little, but every day kind of felt like this like weird loss in a way because of everything that was changing. And so what I did was I started to see everything as like a gain. And I think that's what changed everything for me. And like you just said, like two things can exist at once and it's not like mutually exclusive. And something that also really helped was like looking at everything with gratitude. And so seeing everything as a gift or a new job or an opportunity and every person you meet as an opportunity to get to know a new person. Um, And I love also how you've been so open about having anxiety. This is something Ariana and I can definitely relate to and all of our listeners kind of going through this time in their lives. And it's so refreshing to have someone that we feel like we can relate to amidst such like a chaotic time. So in your 20s with graduation and 
figuring out what you want to do, your hobbies, who you want to be. What's your breath of fresh air for people that relate to this? What can they do? Wow. I wish I was like thinking about these things when I was in my early 20s about to graduate. (laughs) You guys are like, like your generation, I feel like is way ahead of the curve of like learning yourself and like putting in the work and all these things. I definitely was not. Um, I want to say this kind of maybe ties into what we were just talking about. And I was going to say it based on what you were saying, but it might apply here also. I'm having a similar time complex because Liam is turning one in two months and I'm just utterly confused on how that's possible. And I have been reframing when I'm having a hard time or even just if I want to feel more present in the moment or appreciative or grateful, I almost think about me in like 50 years coming back to this moment and watching myself with him this young. And it puts everything in perspective for me. I cannot explain it. And I started doing it because I was on the elevator one day and this old man was looking at him. He was in my carrier. And just the sheer love and admiration and longing that this man showed in his face was so clear that like he once experienced, he experienced at some point a baby this small. And I'm sure in his mind, it was like, flooding with memories of that time. And it was the oddest feeling for me where I was like, holy shit, I'm going to be someone one day looking at these young kids reflecting on this stage of my life. And I don't want to forget what it feels like. And it's really easy to not pay attention to what we're doing in the moment because we live in such a, again, overstimulated constant flood of information world. And so for me, and I honestly think this would be my piece of advice for someone in your guys' stage as well, because I miss those days so much, is taking a step back and being like, wow, I am in a really amazing part of my life. Because no matter what stage we're in, we can find something that is incredible that's happening. And latch on to that, hold on to it, like run with it, really put gratitude towards it and see how you can make it a priority to be more present or like soak as much as it up as possible. Wow. Honestly, that totally just hit me because like your comment about the the man, because I was, um, the other day I was standing with my sister and some of my sister's friends and I was just looking at them and I was like, my sister is, um, 18 and I was just looking at them and I was like, wow, that was not that long ago, but like, wow. Yeah, you know, it's like, crazy. It's just like, it totally hit. It's like when I go back to Lafayette, I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> I like this was a different life. I, I don't even remember what this felt like. And I would do anything for just 24 hours of it. Like not me now spending 24 hours at Lafayette, like 24 hours of 2013 time period of my life. Something we were talking about before the episode is how much of our days we spend responding to people. And I used to wake up in the morning and the first thing I would do is go on my phone and it would just start off my day in such a reactive mode. And so what I started to do was wake up and I wouldn't turn on my phone and I would give myself 45 minutes, not go on my phone and just do my morning routine. And I would call it my proactive time. I'm curious, Cameron, with social media and how much of your day you spend creating and responding to DMs, how do you balance the proactive with the reactive? Well, I have a rule in the mornings because I used to be the exact same way. And I would open my Instagram right away and get to work at like 5.45 in the morning the second I woke up. For me, I do not Well, first I'll wake up, I meditate without looking at my phone. And then I'll look at my phone to see if anyone called me. If anyone, if no one called me, there's not an emergency. And then I put my phone down, I'll do my journaling. I have my coffee. I'll cuddle with Charlie on the couch. I talk to Joe a bit. And then like, I'll, I'll maybe look at my text messages if I feel like it, but not always. And then honestly, I'll do like the New York Times crossword puzzle. I do Duolingo now, that language app, because I just want to like brush up as something to stimulate my brain that's not social media or whatever. Um, I'll do Duolingo in the morning and 
I'll like read the New York Times and then I'll wake up Liam and I have that time with him. And I don't open social media until he goes down for his first nap. So I've now been up for three and a half hours. So as someone who works on social media, I still make that a priority. So when people are like, I can't do that. I'm like, it's it's my job. If I can do it, you guys, you can do it. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So for me, it's all about finding that balance. And it's going to look different for everyone. Everyone's morning is going to look different. Everyone's day is going to look different. That's how I set the tone going into the day. I still need to make a conscious effort throughout the day because it's very easy. And I hate that feeling when the day is over, especially for me, it's like that five o'clock period where our sitter's leaving and I'm about to take over and give Liam dinner. And I'm like, did I do anything today? What have I even done? Because somehow I was busy the entire day, but I don't feel like I did anything. So time blocking, I think is a really awesome tactic that I'm trying to learn more about and do more. My friend, Olivia Nosita, who has an Instagram, she talks about it a lot. Um, I think that's an awesome method. For me, I also, if I'm doing a task, like my phone is away. If I'm on my laptop, my text messages are hidden because with my ADD brain, it is so easy for me to just hop between 20 things at once. And I'm still effective. I'll get them done. But I don't feel comfortable in my brain after the fact. So I'm really trying to be better at not doing that. For all of our listeners, in case you're new here, our episodes will always start and end the same. And just like you already heard us talk about Cameron's roots at the beginning of this episode, we'll end by talking about guest experiences during the most influential and outright crazy time in their lives, their 20s. Since our listenership is primarily college students and those in their early careers, we want to center this last segment on them. And because those years tend to fly by, this is also more of a speed round with questions. Cameron, are you ready? Oh gosh, yeah, I'm ready. What is it like being married to your high school sweetheart? And did you ever take a break because you wanted to confirm that things would be real? It's what's it like? I'll answer that first. It's a very enjoyable, carefree, safe space. It just feels safe and steady and like really freaking fun. It's really fun for us to have married our best friends and just to go through life together and to have a child now is wild when I think back to my 16-year-old self being like, one day I'll marry Joe and have kids. And like, if I heard a 16 year old say that now, I'd laugh at them. But then here I am like, that's crazy to me. Um, So it's really fun. It's also so eye opening to watch someone evolve for that long in front of your eyes and to play a role in it. Um, For both of us to witness that is really remarkable. Yes, we did take time off. We were not together for two semesters throughout college. I don't think it was to confirm anything. Um, The first one was so silly looking back. It was like everyone said, well, if you're going to college, like you have to experience college and take time off. And we just said we were always going to do that. And so we did. I hate the narrative that you like can't experience college unless you're single because I would say I had a freaking awesome college experience. And I actually think I experienced it in many ways broader and more enjoyable than my friends who were single. Um, And then the second one was kind of this like, holy shit, what the hell? We're about to graduate. Like, and then spend the rest of our lives together. Freak out moment. But yes, we were not together for two semesters. If you could cook a freckled foodie meal and maybe finish with your coffee, almond butter, banana bread, which is my absolute favorite, and sit down with one person living past or present, who would it be? I'm always so intimidated by this type of question because I never know who it would be. Honestly, the well, the person I would want to like speak with and interview, I guess maybe we'll go that direction the most would be Dak Shepard because he's been like a big inspiration for me when it comes to my podcast and his interview style and just his life. But I, I don't know if he's the person I'd want, like the number one person I'd want to share a meal with. Honestly, it might be my grandfather who's passed, but like just to see him again, it might be him because I would love for him to meet Liam. So I think I'd say Papa. 
How can those in their early college years really embrace everything? That's a loaded question. Yeah. Kind of the opposite of what the question is, but try not to do it all. Like when you load your plate too full, you're not enjoying anything. You just leave stuffed and uncomfortable. Did you believe in balance in your early 20s and has this changed? I did, but I had such a confusing version of balance. I was like, oh, you know, I cared too much about food labels and trends and diets. And I thought that was what balance looked like. Um, It has definitely changed because I think balance is actually not caring and finding what works best for you and just being okay with that and not having to put any type of label on anything. Through the Freckled Foodie, we know you do private chef work, health coaching, recipe development, cooking classes, as well as running a blog and an Instagram, and you also have a podcast. Which is the most rewarding? I think my podcast, I think that's what I enjoy the most because I get to connect with people um, who I'm typically inspired by and hearing people's feedback on how those conversations change their opinions or got them thinking a certain way or inspired them to start XYZ. That's really awesome for me. So for a listener that's moving to a big city for a job post-grad or a college across the country or even across the world for an abroad experience, which I can definitely attest to being in Paris right now, what is your advice for this new city transition? It's hard because my experience was we all just kind of moved together. So it wasn't this new city having to meet people. But I would say put yourself out there. Go to any event of any type of hobby that you're interested in. Meet like-minded people. Um, what If you have a friend, like ask if you can go to events or parties or things with them and meet their friends. Like I think real world friends, which is a term I use for like anyone that you meet post-college. I think that is such a spider web and you should be willing to extend your spider web to people and then also like explore other people's webs. I've met some of my closest friends because they're friends of friends of someone or someone was like, oh, you should meet XYZ person. You might hit it off. Like take those chances. And like when, if you connect with someone, be like, oh, let's go do something. And like actually exchange numbers, put something on the books because that's, I think, what then fosters these newfound friendships. I also think like try to explore whatever city you're moving to as much as you can while you're still the only one you're responsible for. We always end with a final question called the greenish goal. So what is one goal you recommend our listeners set from mental and physical health to founding a company to mastering their wealth? Probably I would say the number one thing that I think has helped me and many people in my life is to try meditating, make it a goal. Like it could be five minutes a day. Everyone has five minutes to spare. Look at your screen time. You absolutely have more than five minutes to spare. Cameron, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. This has been so, so fun. Thank you so much. You are such an inspiration to us and we loved this conversation. Thank you guys. You were so sweet. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. guys so much for listening to today's episode you can find anything we mentioned today linked in our show notes and if you want more make sure to go to our website at www.agreenishlife.com and don't forget we release new episodes every other friday we'll see you next time on greenish